Friends, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? We have been uh, talking about the life of the church, and we're in a series right now called Built by Christ, uh, talking about what it means to be the church. Two weeks ago when we started, we talked about how Jesus is the founder of the church. Uh, He promises to build it. It's his idea, not ours, which is encouraging, I think, sometimes, uh, that this is the Lord's idea and his work in the end. Last week, we talked about uh, that not only is Jesus the founder of the church, but that the church is the temple of God. That means that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the church. Uh, And that is a great gift to recognize that his presence is with us, uh, and we can experience and know him, and, and know his love for us. So all of this, Jesus building his church, what it means to be church, the presence of the Spirit with us, all of this, folks, is part of God's salvation plan to be in reconciliation with people again. This is his heart for us, is that you and I would be in communion and fellowship and intimacy with God himself. And that's a, a tremendous gift. And church is part of experiencing that as we get to know one another, know his love here, and therefore know his love uh, in the life to come. So, folks, Hebrews uh, is a bit, of a, a bit of a turn for us. We've talked about the founding of the church, talked about the presence of the spirit of the church, so we're kind of where we start there. Today I want to talk about worship. If someone was to ask uh, someone on the street, what do they do on Sundays over there? The response would probably be, well, they worship. What we do on Sundays is we gather to worship. It's kind of the language we use often. And we talk about worship. We talk about Sunday worship. We talk about uh, specifics in worship, don't we? So we have questions like um, hymns or choruses, uh, electronic instruments or organ, right? These are questions. Uh, printed lyrics or PowerPoint. Uh, bright, sunny, or dark, industrial, moody. What's the setting? Or a choir or rock band. So we debate about worship. In fact, sometimes we call them the worship wars because it's a lot about style and tastes and preference, these sorts of things. So when, we, when you hear the word worship, quite often what we think is music or singing. Want to be part of the worship team means you want to be part of singing on the band, right? And music is a really important part of how we connect with God. I want to say that up front. All through the Old Testament, all through Scripture, you get people experiencing the presence of the Lord in music, calling people to come and play, uh, soothing wounds, as it were, in the presence of the Lord. And our psalms, folks, our prayer book, the psalms, often set to music. You might be reading a psalm and going, wait, that's a song I know. Set to music, often. And Psalm 120 even calls us to bless the Lord, calls us to kind of speak to our own souls and say, soul, bless the Lord. Stir myself up and say praise to God. Pour out our love to God. But folks, that said, as much as music's important, worship is much, much more than the bracket of songs that we sing before the preaching. Much, much more. And this passage in Hebrews 12 that I'm going to read for us, it confronts our assumptions about worship. And we'll discover along the way this morning, very briefly, that worship is a lot more about life than it is just about singing. 
Worship is a lot more about what you're going to do Monday to Saturday than what you did on Sunday. And worship's a lot more about your whole life uh, than, as I said, 20 minutes of singing together and how you felt about it on Sunday morning. Whether you felt emotionally stirred or not. So we're going to talk a little bit about worship. Let me read this passage for you. This is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 28, and then going to 13, 12. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28 starts like this. Uh, the, the writer, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is coming off a, a longer section of how Jesus is the, pow- the founder and perfecter of our faith, and that we've inherited this kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's great promise as Christians that what God has done in Christ is permanent and settled and finished, and now we get to enjoy what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so that's, that's what we're coming into. Starting in Hebrews 12, 28, let me read this. Therefore, in light of all that, that quick, brief summary that I just did for you, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which can be benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the tent, into the holy places by the high priest, as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We pray you open our hearts and minds and spirits to receive it. We trust, Lord, that uh, you have inspired this word that there is something here for us this morning to learn, to live, uh, to be deepened in our faith and walk with you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Notice in this passage that we get worship at the beginning. Hebrews 12, 28. Take a look. Did you see it? Acceptable worship. And you've got worship at the end. Hebrews 13, 15. Sacrifice of praise. I want to suggest to you that everything that occurs between those two brackets is about worship. 
Now, it might, uh, it might seem a little strange at first. We'll talk about that. But this is about following Jesus in our day-to-day life. Think of it like this. Your lives are to be like a canvas. And that all the decisions you make through life are either uh, for life, the brilliant colors of life and salvation, or, uh, or brush strokes of sin and death. And you've kind of got here a canvas laid out, and God's saying, here you go, how are you going to paint? How are you going to live your life? All right? So there's two passages here, uh, sorry, two points here, and uh, two points to the passage and two points to the sermon. It's a good way to do it. The first part, verses uh, 13, 1 to 6. So kind of see that. Do you see it there? 13, 1 to 6. This is acceptable worship is caring for one another. And the next bit, verses 7 to 16, acceptable worship is centered on Christ. So caring for one another and Christ. First thing, first point, acceptable worship is caring for each other. Folks, acceptable worship, the worship God's looking for, is that you would be learning through your whole life what it means to care for and serve one another. I think it's really interesting, the writer says, let's offer up acceptable worship to God, and then immediately he starts talking about relationships. And it's no wonder that someone said, it seems like a change of topic, let's put the chapter heading there. Uh, the chapters and verses are not authoritative, they're added later. You know this, right? They're not written with this, numbers. It's a shame. <laughs> they're added later. It's okay. They're later. That's helpful to find out where things are, because we all have the same sort of reference system, right? It's good. Um, but we're going to ignore that 13, actually. Whoops. There it goes. And I'm going to suggest that he's actually, it's not a change of topic at all. Let's offer acceptable worship. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect hospitality. And, and folks, that shift, I don't think that should surprise us, because Jesus himself says, what's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with your whole being, essentially. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So worship, loving God, and loving one another are deeply intertwined. Jesus' heart and mind. So well, it should be for us. That's what you've got going on here. So... I think, though, this is a real challenge for us to live out. It's easy if worship is, I come to church, there's songs being sung, I can just kind of enter a zone, sort of here by myself, close my eyes, you know, and just worship. There's a time and place for that, right? For connecting with the Lord, intimate connection with God, absolutely. But folks, worship's never meant to be just sort of us in isolation by ourselves. Here we're called to interact with one another, so we're called to, to stir one another in love. Earlier in Hebrews, uh, the writer says, don't neglect to meet together, encourage one another. That's really hard to do, I think. It is easier to stay home on a Sunday and not encourage one another. I'm just going to stay home, eat my cereal in my pajamas. Thank you, I'm done. But no, we're called to meet together. It's easier to stay home. It's difficult to meet new people. You know, uh, our congregation, we're quite blessed. We have new people all the time. There's probably some of you who are new here this morning. Welcome. We'd love to get to know you after the service. Fantastic. Come and meet me. Be great. Um, but this requires something of us. It requires us to be upfront about saying hello, encouraging one another, doing that work. It's difficult work, but it's good work to do. 
And I think Jesus knows it's difficult. This is why he sends the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? To guide us, to teach us, to renew our hearts and minds, to say, to pull you out of just sort of you on your own and call you to a family together. This is what God wants to do. Jesus in John 13 talks about this. He says, love one another. Because I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's pretty straightforward there, isn't it? We need to love one another. Remember this old song, we'll know we're Christians by our love? Because we're not demonstrating the love of Christ. We don't look like Jesus. So are we going to love? That's how he starts off. Let's offer to God acceptable worship. Let love continue. I think he's off to a good start. Worship involves loving one another. Now notice this. Where does he go after this? Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality. I always read that as eat in each other's homes. Show hospitality. Remember those in prison. So you're calling, you're, you're bringing people into your home. You're going and extending home to those who can't come to home. Right? That's what that's about. But then where does he go? Marriage and money. Or, more properly, sexual temptation and greed. Now, why would he do that? He's talking about worship, right? He connects it to loving one another. Then he talks about sexual temptation and greed. Folks, both of those things are attempts to weaken our commitment and our love to one another. They're the first temptations you face in living out uh, the life of love and worship with God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Folks, worship that pleases God has to do with your sexuality. Your sexual behavior and your sexual conduct uh, are decisions and places where God uh, is waiting for you to worship Him. It affects the life of the church, affects the body of Christ, affects you considerably, and those with whom you interact with. Absolutely does. And this isn't just for marrieds or for singles, it's for everyone. This is why the, the writer says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. So folks, it's good for us to remember marriage is God's institution. It's not a social institution that I can play around with to adjust to my own desires. It's God's institution. I don't get to adjust it, actually. So it needs to be honored. So folks, what's he saying? Fight the temptations of lust, right? This is a really kind of down-to-earth sort of sermon. Fight the temptations of lust. If you're married, seek to strengthen your covenant with God. Learn how to communicate if you don't know. Learn how to show affection if you don't know. You have to learn these things. Learn how to resolve conflict in your marriage. Find a, an older couple who you admire. You can talk into their wing and learn how they've, how they've been doing this for years and years and years. I'm actually I'm also a qualified uh, prepare and rich counselor, which is a marriage, uh, what is it? Helps premarital couples in their... Uh, getting ready for marriage, but it's also for enriching couples who are already married. I took the training when I was at Regent. You want to talk about your marriage? I'd love to talk with you. If, if you think, well, he's really young and it seems awkward, that's okay. You find someone else. There's plenty of people here in the church who would be fantastic role models. But uh, don't take your marriage lightly, folks. Invest in it. Invest in it. But for all of us, whether you're married or single or, or whatever, Avoid adultery, right? Avoid sexual immorality. Resist lust. Hold that marriage bed sacred. Whether it's your marriage bed or the marriage bed of someone else, hold it sacred. Folks, worship that pleases God has to do with your sexuality. There you go. Same with greed. 
Worship that pleases God means honoring him with your finances. This is quite awkward. He's brought up sex and money in the same sermon. <laughs> Folks, trust God with your finances. When Sarah and I went to Regent. Uh, you guys supported us. Thank you for that. That helped us all along the way. For two years, we were at school, and you guys uh, gave us money each month to help us. To be quite honest with you, it wasn't enough to cover even rent. Our rent at Regent, uh, our rent in Vancouver, was twelve fifty a month, $1,250 a month for a basement apartment. All right? So that doesn't include paying for school or food or all the other things. Plus, we lost out on two months, two, two years of income. Right? Didn't get a full salary for two years. It's a cost there, isn't it? I'm not saying that to kind of boast. I'm just saying it's our experience. We had to really rely on the Lord. And he's come through for us. We're doing all right. We're doing more than all right. It's okay. Enough that we have money to give and tithe and, and support others. Folks, he'll look after you. Uh, the Dahlbergs are a testament to this again, how he's looked after them. Even as they've sacrificed things like steady job and income and actually given money. Uh, to go and to learn and to serve. So folks, trust him with your finances. It has, has a lot more to do with your heart than it does with your bank account. If you have a lot of money, uh, trust him. Give out of that amount. If you have a little money, trust him. Give out of that amount. Actually, it doesn't make a lot of difference whether you have a lot or a little. It calls you, calls you to avoid greed. Be content with what you have, he says. Keep your life free from a love of money. That can be either you have a lot of money and you're stingy with it, or you don't have any money and you're always looking for it. Does that make sense? If, if money's always on your mind in that way and you're not trusting the Lord with it, that's the issue. Uh, so learn. Learn how to give. Learn how to be a good steward of your finances. And tithing's a really good discipline for this. Tithing is the, is the discipline of giving usually about 10% of your income to the church or a certain amount back to the church. Uh, not because it's for me, but it... it keeps the ministries and the community life of the church going. And uh, I also give a tithe to this church. I tithe from my salary from the church back to the church. So we, we still give in tithe, folks, even though I'm a minister. But that's a really good discipline because it's a regular sort of giving. It cultivates a sort of sacrificial giving. And uh, I have found that even in times where I didn't think we could tithe, when we did tithe, the Lord always came through. We always still had enough. So I challenge you, if you're not tithing, try for three months and see what God does. See what he'll do. And I'm going to suggest you didn't need that 10% to live on, actually. It might happen. It might happen. I don't know. But seek the Lord on that. Maybe you can do 2% or 5%. Seek him on that. Uh, but he calls us to give. It's good for your heart to learn how to give. C.S. Lewis says this, I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. <laughs> I don't know how much to say, so just give more than you think you can. And it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good. Be content with what you have. Then, folks, we get this great encouragement here, don't we? In verse 6, we can confidently say, The Lord's my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Christian life will always be, folks, about learning to love people learning to resist sexual temptation, and refusing greed. But thankfully, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what you meant to do. 
right? So our social, our sexual, our financial behaviors are the place where God is waiting for us to worship and re-worship in these areas of your life. Instead of entertaining individualism and isolation, God calls you to community, to love one another. Instead of entertaining lust, God invites us to honor and respect. Instead of entertaining greed or love of money, God invites us to trust and to generosity. Brilliant, hey? And then all along the way, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'll be your helper. You don't need to fear. I'll provide for you. So folks, that's the first point, first of two, acceptable worship, pleasing to God, means loving one another and honoring him with your social, your sexual, and your financial decisions. Makes sense, hey? The second part, folks, worship, means being satisfied and sustained by Jesus. True worship is always centered on Jesus. So look at verse 7 with me, please. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Why would he say this? Why? Where's he going with this? Folks, I think it's, I think it's important. He's, he's drawing up the fact that they spoke the word of God to you. They relate the saving knowledge of Christ to you. Therefore, don't be led away by diverse teachings. So you've heard the gospel. If you know the gospel, you've heard it. Christ has come to save you in your sin. And you can receive him by faith, receive the grace of God, and be reconciled to God again. As you come to him, accept him as your Lord. There's the gospel. When we, when we choose to follow Christ and, and be his disciple and receive God's love and forgiveness, he says, cling to that. Don't get led away by strange stuff over on the side. That's the core of faith. And so remember your leaders, the one who passed on the core of the faith to you, because that was really good. It's all about Jesus and the gospel. He's the one. Jesus is the one who died on the cross to bring you into reconciliation with the Father. Not your good works. Not mom or dad or whoever. Jesus did. He's the only one that can save you, folks. Really. It's not me. It's not certainly not coming to church. That's not going to do it. you got to get right with Jesus. He's the one that gives you access to the grace of God, right? He's the one that's going to come and take you to be with him, and return with him, new heaven, new earth. His love, folks, won't diminish for you. His forgiveness won't run out for you. His grace won't, uh, won't evaporate for you. He's here for you, folks. He's here for you. He loves you. True Christian worship, folks, is to look to Jesus alone. You see that? You see that? That's why they need to remember the ones who, the ones who gave them the gospel message. But, folks, the, our constant temptation, I think, with this is we want to find our satisfaction somewhere other than Jesus. So it might be to find it in, in our good works and what we do for Him. We can get really busy doing holy things and miss out on Jesus, actually. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. <laughs> we need to find our satisfaction in him. So Hebrews reminds us, your Christian worship, i.e. your Christian life, must be centered and sustained and energized as you trust and follow Jesus Christ. So in that first half, Christian worship is learning to love and serve one another. The temptations are coming from outside. Um, individualism, Sexual temptation, greed, right? Sort of uh, temptations from the world outside. But here the temptation to find something other than Jesus as the source of your identity in life 
uh, the temptation is one of religion, that you find something else in place of Jesus and give your devotion and your honor to him or to Andrew, whatever, right? So folks, the spiritual life is nourished by Christ only. We can have good traditions that we have in our church which are healthy and helpful, but none of, none of that stuff we do is going to improve our standing with God on its own. It's always about uh, you coming to faith in Christ and nourishing your faith with him by the Spirit in community together. This is it. This is what we're doing. What, uh, what I think is really interesting is you've got these weird verses kind of, hey, afterwards. When I read them, it's like, man, these are, these are weird to say publicly. Verses 10, 11, 12. I'm talking about blood and stuff. What's going on here? I want you to think back, if, if you don't know this, think back a little bit. And then I'll do it for you. But a sketch of Old Testament worship. So in the Old Testament, God gives a whole series of ceremonies, right, and um, practices, and all sorts of things. It's a whole system of sacrifices, and there's lots of blood, there's lots of barbecuing, there's lots of eating animals going on. But all of it, certain people, certain places, certain times, all of it uh, is about coming as an unholy people to a holy God. That's what it's all about. But with Jesus, folks, all of that's changed. God now comes to you. So Jesus transforms everything about worship. And what happens here in this passage is the writer takes the most holy ceremony in Old Testament worship, which is the Day of Atonement, sacrifice. And on that day, once a year, the high priest gets all get up in his high priest garb, and he goes in to the holy uh, to the to the tabernacle, and he goes. And then he goes into the Holy of Holies. Ooh, and now it's sketchy. If he does something wrong, he's dead. It's over. There's kind of the tradition um, that he'd have, has a, a rope tied to his ankle because if he pops over dead, they're going to have to pull the body out. God is so holy. Right? That's the emphasis. God is so holy. So he takes blood from the sacrifice and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat. It's the presence of God and it's to make... Uh, it's to make uh, Cleansing and reprobation for the sins of the nation. It sounds really foreign, eh? Like, what's happening? But God has made all of that. Why has he done all of that? Because it points to what Jesus will have to do in terms of an ultimate sacrifice and death for all of our sin, past, present, future. So he's getting Israel ready to understand what Jesus is going to have to do. But what happens in this passage? They take the most holy ceremony, right? All the choreography and all of it that demonstrates sin, and God's redemption. And what does he say? Jesus made it obsolete. You don't need it anymore. You don't need the big choreography anymore to get right with God and have your sins forgiven. You don't need to wait for the high priest to go in once a year and just settle everything for you. You don't need it anymore. Because now we have one great high priest who has become the sacrifice himself for you. Now it's done. Now it's done. So what's he saying? All of that ritual and offering and sacrifice was foreshadowing Jesus. And now Jesus has transformed even this worship, even this worship, the highest, most sacred act that as a Hebrew people we do. Jesus has transformed this. You get a hint of this in John 4, a Samaritan woman, um, where she says, you worship on that mountain, we worship on this mountain. Who's right? Jesus says, not about the mountain. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth now because of me. So it's not about all the, all the ritual action anymore. So folks, Jesus 
has become the sole center and the voice of our worship. You see that? Even the Day of Atonement is superseded. The crucifixion of Christ folks ends the need for all sacrifice. There's nothing you can do uh, to get right with God. Uh, there's nothing, there's no sort of sacrifice you need to make. You are totally unfit for that, actually. And whatever you think you could give to God, sort of sort of sort of, sort of karma situation, like, oh, if I do this, I'll get will be good. Or God's mad at me because I did this once. No, no. It's not it's karma, it's not Christianity. You come to Jesus, he's the, he's the great high priest who has made the great sacrifice for your sin. Yes, even you think maybe you are so far gone you don't deserve it. He died for you. And that's the gospel. So because of that, how does he end? Through him, this is verse 15, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up what kind of sacrifice? It's not a blood offering anymore. What is it? Sacrifice of praise because of what he's done, right? It's fantastic. This is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We have salvation and forgiveness from God, folks, because of Christ. Let me wrap this up for us. Acceptable worship, true worship, is two things. Do you remember it yet? It's a life of love and service for one another. In every sphere of life, right? Social, sexual, financial, everything. But it's worship, a true acceptable worship, it's not just loving one another, but it's also staying centered and sustained by Christ. You see those two that work things? So of course it includes us gathering here and singing praises and experiencing God's presence. It's all fantastic. Of course we're going to keep doing that. Um, but it includes all of our lives, folks. When you seek to care for the broken, when you practice hospitality, when you say, I'm going to be sexually holy, when you say, I'm going to make financial decisions, uh, with Christ at the center, I'm going to give. I'm going to give out of uh, what he's given me. It's actually all his anyway, isn't it? I'm going to give out of that place. I'm going to be financially generous. And, and I'm going to remain uh, centered in the life of Christ, who's died for me, and through whom I have forgiveness. So I'm, going to, I'm going to live in that place. Folks, when you do that, when you learn to love one another and stay centered on Christ and live for him, that's worship. That is acceptable worship. That's true Christian worship. So I want to end by asking you this, and maybe one of these areas is where you kind of need to lean into and maybe uh, ask for forgiveness and give over to God. I don't know. We've covered a few of them. Brothers and sisters, are we going to do this? Are we going to actually live this out? By the grace of Christ, will we let brotherly love continue? Will we practice and show hospitality? Will we visit those who are suffering and in prison? Will we practice purity in marriage and abstinence and singleness? Will we be uh, uh, pure in our relationships? Will we practice contentment and generosity, free of love of money? It's a hard one. Will we remember to care for your leaders who preach the word of God? Thank you for caring for me. Please pray for me. Please, I, I covet your prayers. And will we, folks, rest satisfied, thankful, nourished, in the great sacrifice of Christ that we can know the forgiveness and the grace of God. Will you rest there, knowing it's finished? Nothing you can add to it. Nothing you can take away from it. Just simply receive it uh, and to be forgiven. Folks, it's a call for us this week. Will you pray, pray with me?